Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 380. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for turning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. This week's guest is my good buddy, Bo Kim. Bo is an accountant turned real estate investor. He lives in California and he's been amassing rental properties across the Midwest for several years now, having accumulated a portfolio of 63 rentals and counting across markets like Indianapolis, Kansas City, and Little Rock. Today's conversation was really great with Bo. We talked about how he got started investing in real estate with a W-2 job out of state, across the country, all of those things. Great conversation, so I'm excited to dive right into it. Let's go ahead and do just that. Here we go. All right, so welcome on the show, my good buddy, Bo Kimbo. It's been such a long time coming. I am super excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jacob. Really excited to share my journey with your listeners. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Bo, you've got an exciting journey and I want to get into all of that. But lately, I've been kind of putting a spin on the show and I want to start with your reason why. So let's start there. Tell us about you know why you do what you do, what drives you, what motivates you. Let's kind of lay the groundwork from there. Yeah. So for me, it's really about the passive income and the time freedom that real estate investing gives me. And once I really bit the real estate investing bug and I found out that I can invest in properties remotely, not just in my backyard, it was just a game changer. And as I was picking up these rentals and these checks started flowing in or ACHs, it really (laughs) allowed, yeah, it really allowed me to make decisions, not just for the money, but for what's based on my time freedom, what I really like, enjoy doing. And my life has changed for the better of it. So that really keeps me going. So what do you like to do with your time freedom? That's a good question. You know, in my free time, I've actually been growing the business even more, right? So it's one of those kind of things. Once you're an entrepreneur, you start real estate investing business. I also have a podcast. I do flips in in addition to the rentals. And I also have an e-commerce business. So a lot of these things kind of play against each other, with off of each other. Mm -hmm. and. In my free time, I feel like I'm continuing to just build the business and try to help other people do the same. So I mentor a couple of folks who are a couple of steps behind me and want to do what I do. And you know, with the podcast, a lot of free education and content just to kind of give back to the rest of the world. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'd love to start with that kind of reason why, because that's where it all begins, right? But tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background, and kind of your journey into the real estate investing world. Yeah. So, you know, my name is Bo and I currently work as a software implementation manager. I have a full-time W-2 in Southern California, and I've been doing that for the past two years. Prior to that, I worked in seven years in the accounting and audit industry. So my background is in finance and accounting, and I wanted to do something different. So I joined this startup in sunny Southern California and have been loving it ever since. So that's my day job. And then the nights and the weekends, it's really dedicated to real estate. So I have 65 rental units. Holy cow, man, you are growing like crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely snowballing. Congrats, that is is really impressive. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it definitely snowballs, which I'd love to share with your listeners about how to scale effectively. And I also do fix and flips. So ever since COVID hit, I usually like to hold everything. I don't like to sell just because, (laughs) you know, as you know, Jacob, you know, real estate, you want to buy and just wait and write it out. But once COVID hit, a lot of these prices, uh, to my surprise, have gone up the roof. 
And I started to realize that there was a lot of equity in these properties that it makes more sense for me to sell rather than to hold and try to cash flow off of it. So I've been doing some fix and flips. And then I also do some e-commerce as mentioned on the site as well. So a lot of those things just really keep me busy and really keep me grounded as well. So something I've been thinking about lately, and that's it's constantly, you know, trying to keep yourself growing through, you know, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, right? That's where you grow. You can't grow just by doing what you've always done, being comfortable, staying stagnant. And it's kind of a tough thing, as ironic as it sounds to do, because you know, you have a comfortable life, you live in a beautiful location, you've got a good day job, you could easily just coast, live your life, go to happy hours, hang out with your buddies work your high paying, you know, or at least great paying job and live a moderate life, right? But you choose to kind of push that extra mile, invest in cash flowing real estate, building these businesses, you know, got these high side hustles going. So, you know, why are you doing that? And kind of talk to that aspect. Yeah. And this is taking a step deeper into my why and my motivation. So kind of when I mentioned it earlier, is very kind of surface level, but if we kind of dive into it, it. and I love this question. Yeah, I love this question, Jacob, because I recently had this conversation with my friend. So my friend and I were talking, we were both in college together, and we weren't A-class students um, <laughs> by, by any means. Like he and I, we were just joking around after graduating from high school. We didn't even know like we wanted to go to college. So we attended community college and we just really coasted and would get like C's and D's. It it was terrible. And then we realized that, hey, we want to be intentional. We want to be focused. And I finally chose a major that I was excited about. I started off in engineering and I switched to accounting. And then it just like, I blazed through it. So I graduated in like two years after I chose my major. Well, you know, fast forward today, he and I are both making money that we were only dreaming of when we were in college with our W-2s. Like, He's an engineer and I'm an accountant. Working professionals, you make pretty decent money out of college. Yeah. And he was asking me, he's like, Bo, what, why are you doing all of this? Like, you have a good life. You know, you can take your dream vacations if you want to. Like, you're saving of your 401k, your software startups gives you equity. Like, you have all these things. Like, why do you need more money? And, you know, I really thought about it because I didn't want to just answer him. And when I really did an in depth look in myself, it was really not about the money because As I'm sure you're aware, like once you get to a certain amount of income, the kind of the diminishing return kicks in and it's not going to add that much additional happiness into your life, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I do it and going back to like the deeper why is, you know, my parents are immigrants from Southern, uh, not Southern California, South Korea. (laughs) To Southern California, that is. Yeah, to Southern California. From South Korea. So I left South Korea at a young age of of five years old. Okay. And my parents, basically, they had really good working professional jobs. So my dad was a planner for the city, making really good money. But once he came here, he didn't speak a lick of English. And he had to really take a blue collar working job, which is definitely respectable, but it wasn't paying as much as he was getting as a college educated person. And he just had to work like 10, 12 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah, that is your typical immigrant story. And it really ingrained in me the hard work ethic. And when you're given an opportunity, you need to make the most of it. And it didn't really resonate with me, obviously, until like midway through college, because I was slacking off and not really applying myself. Right. But yeah, once those things clicked in, based with my, you know, teachings as a younger individuals of work ethic and grit and all persistence, all of those things. I had no choice but really to work really hard and give it all I got with the opportunities that I was given. So once I realized that, hey, you don't have to come from a ton of money, you know, your parents, you don't have to have a rich uncle giving you $10 million to go invest. Like I can start doing these little burrs, get, you know, those base hits, and then use private money, commercial financing, other people's money and time and knowledge to scale up my business then I was off to the races because I was like, if I can do it, then anyone can do it. I love it, man. Yeah, that's so awesome. Tell us about you know, your kind of foray into the real estate investing world. How'd you get started? What'd your first deal look like? Take us back to the beginning. Oh, man, this is a good one because 
I'm going to preface it with this for your listeners. I've only lost money once in real estate and it is my first property. Go ahead and get it out of the way right there, right? <laughs> yeah. So in terms of how I got started, it was by house hacking. So okay. I bought a three bedroom, three bath townhouse in Southern California. It was a new construction build and I got super lucky. So this is back in late 2016, early 2017, when prices were still reasonable. It's not you know, the craziness that it is today. And I bought it with only 5% down conventional. And prior to that, for some reason, I thought you always had to have 20% down. I don't know why that was kind of ingrained in my mind, but my agent was like, hey, Bo, you could buy it with 5% down. I was like, okay. It was only a couple hundred dollars more than what I was paying for my apartment because the rent versus mortgage was very similar at mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. And with three bedrooms, my wife and I didn't need all of that. So we decided to rent it out to a family member for 800 bucks. And that essentially lowered my mortgage to my apartment lease levels. Yeah. So as long as I was breaking even, I was super happy because I wasn't even taking into consideration the tax advantages. So as an accountant, I knew that much, <laughs> as well as the mortgage pay down, the, right. the principal piece. Mm -hmm. So I was happily doing that. And, you know, I was on a trip in Hawaii with my wife and the ACH hit. I still remember it was September and it hit on the first and it was just a light bulb moment. I just woke up and I got the notification and I was like, I need more of this. <laughs> this is cool. I'm in Hawaii. I just got some deposited money into my checking account. Let's keep this thing going. Exactly. And you know, I think it was even easier for me just because the renter was my sister-in-law, super easy to work with. And you know, always pays on time. And there was like no noise, like there was no complaints. So I was like, this is literally free money that the room that I would be just like leaving empty otherwise. So I started looking at turnkey companies. I went on bigger pockets when I typed in real estate investing it was the first thing that popped up. And I started to attend some of those free webinars and it really got me thinking, hey, I don't have to buy in Southern California where the landlord laws aren't as friendly, I can invest out of state. So I kind of made a short list of the 15 or so metro areas that I wanted to invest in for cash flow. And I had very specific criteria. I wanted the rent to value ratio to be a certain amount. I wanted the cash flow to be a certain amount. I wanted like a three bedroom, one bath in certain suburb locations. And this criteria was formed by going to RIA meetings, attending those webinars, talking to like-minded individuals such as yourself and really picking their brains and seeing, hey, what works for you and seeing if that works for me and then adjusting it as needed. And then once I had those metro markets, I then called these turnkey companies and I eventually landed on my first one in Kansas City. And you know that's the one that I lost money on and I could dive more deep into it if you'd like me to. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that because I'm sure you had a lot of uh, trepidations, a lot of fears. You're living in Southern California. Yeah, you've got this house hack under your belt, but you're no bona fide full-time real estate investor by any stretch of the imagination. You go out, you buy a turnkey rental property across the country. Your friends and family are probably like, oh, have you ever even been to Kansas City? Can you point at it on a map? Like, What's going on here? So yeah, let's, let's dig into those details. Yeah. And that was exactly the reaction. I didn't tell a lot of people, but I did, tell a, <laughs> I did tell a couple of my close friends and they just thought, hey, Bo, this sounds pretty scammy. You know, you've never been to this area. You don't know these people and they expect you to buy a house. Right. But, you know, based on the research that I did and, you know, I'll say this, there's a lot of fear. Definitely. There was a lot of fear of the unknown because you don't know what you don't know. But the more research and the more knowledge that you gain, the more books you read, the more people you talk to, a lot of those fears just really dissipate. Yeah. And you know, at some point, there is inherent risk that you can't mitigate. There's risk that you can't get rid of, unfortunately. But at some point, you reduce the risk to a level where you, know, you have the appetite to just take it on. You know, at some point, you have to take the leap. And that's exactly what I did is I put a property under contract after months of research and negotiation. And it was a three bedroom, one bath in Kansas City that was on sale for, I believe, 75. And I talked them down to 66. Okay, nice. Because uh, yeah, a lot of people were like, Bo, you make money in real estate when you buy. So I wanted to be 
a good steward of my money. And I got a great deal at 66 because I noticed that property has just been sitting there for a long time. So I got the property. Buying process was pretty smooth. Uh, I went through the inspection. And there was a lot of different ways that I can hedge the risk, right? You have your inspection contingency, you have your appraisal contingency, just to make sure that what you're paying for, you're getting in value. Yeah, right. Now, the fun part comes in terms of the management. So, you know, now I know looking back, and this is what I tell everybody, is your property manager is the most important member of your team, at least in my experience. You know, David Green talks about the core four, your agent, contractor, lender and property manager. If I had to put a weight on it, property manager, probably like 80%. And that's just because I'm a real remote real estate investor and I rely on them a lot. And also you buy a property once, right? You know, your agent helps you with the buy and sell and things like that. But the management, you're holding these as a rental. If you don't have really good management in place, you're going to bleed out slowly over the long run. And whether that's just placing bad tenants or not doing a great job with the rehab, with the turns, et cetera. So, you know, the property management side was a little bit of an issue for me because now in hindsight, everything's 2020. This management company grew from 100 doors to 600 doors in less than three years. So while it was fantastic that business was booming, they really didn't have the infrastructure in place to support this demand. So what happened was every time probably I had an issue and I talked to them, I had a new person talk, yeah. talking to me. So my property manager for my specific property changed like four times within the span of six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know they had a 90-day guarantee where they're like, hey, Bo, if there's any issues in the first 90 days, we're going to warranty everything in terms of the repairs in terms of the tenants that's been placed, et cetera. And this was a turnkey, right? So that turnkey provider is also managing the property. They're the people that bought the place, fixed it up, placed a tenant in it, and sold it to you. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I wanted the full kind of you know experience, the turnkey experience. And also, you know, my philosophy is like, I don't want a third party managing it because I want the chef to eat their own cooking, so to say. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, that they think twice before doing, you know, crappy job with the rehab because they're going to have to manage it and deal with the work orders thereafter. Yeah. So that was my thought process in using the property management. Little did I know I needed to do a little bit more due diligence in terms of how long they've been doing this, what's their infrastructure. And I really didn't know, you know, now my experience has been one property manager for every hundred doors or so is a reasonable kind of ratio. So with 600 doors under management, you know, if they have at least five, six members on their staff, reasonably, they can handle all the calls and feel all of the work orders that come in, et cetera, because timeliness is also very key. Well, you know, they only had three people on staff at the time, and I believe they were just overwhelmed because after month three, which is the 90-day warranty period was over, I started getting a slew of work orders and the tenants stopped paying rent. So funny timing, right? Like when all the guarantees are out the door, these issues started to happen. And you can imagine like sitting there on a Friday evening, trying to go on date night with my wife and I get like five different work orders on my email. It just really ruins your weekend. Yeah, sure. And (laughs) yeah, and I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, but thankfully the fourth property manager that I had just gave me a call and that was like, hey, Bo, I know you're a good guy. I just wanted to be honest with you. The tenants that are currently in your place, they have a prior eviction on the record as well as they only make $1,400 a month. Well, the rent was $825 and the policy of the property management company was no eviction in the prior two years. Okay. As, yep, as well as three times the monthly rent and income. Right. So- yeah, they went against both of those policies, which was a breach of contract. So, you know, long story short, I decided to cut the PM as soon as I heard that, because until then, I thought they were just working with me. And it was just a, you know, you sometimes get dealt a bad hand. So I didn't want to overreact. But at that point, I was like, okay, I need to get a trustworthy PM who's going to adhere to their own policy. But, you know, with the lost rents and the damage that the tenant did, and I kid you not, after I evicted them and the sheriff escorted them, two days later, they came back, kicked the door down 
and took uh, about another $4,000 worth of appliances and fixtures from the house. Oh, man. Yeah. So all in all, I lost about $10,000. But, you know, the story's not all sad because I bought in a great location. And fast forward four years later, it appreciated at least $40,000. So, you know, I've made my money back and then some, but it was a really tough lesson learned. And I was so excited about real estate. Had I not also bought three other turnkeys around the same time these issues started popping up, you know, I'll be honest with you, I could have given up, Jacob. Like, you know, the first property was such an issue and I didn't buy these other ones. I would have been like, man, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe those other people were right. I was getting scammed. But by this time, I already bought three other turnkeys with other reputable companies and those were doing fantastic. So I was like, okay, this is just a bump in the road. I need to really take my lessons learned, adjust, and grow stronger. So that's my story. Well, hindsight's always 2020 and deals like that, Bo. But when you're in the heat of it, I mean, yeah, I, I can only imagine what's going through your mind when you bought this very first deal out of state already from the get-go. You sound a little crazy to your peer group, right? Like, yeah, I live in Southern California. I'm buying a house sight unseen with a third-party property manager in Kansas City. So that's already kind of like a weird red flag, number one. And then the deal's not going great. So I'm sure you've got people in your ear like, hey, you know, how's that deal going, Bo? And you're like, ah, yeah, not great. Surprise, surprise. And they're like, yeah, I told you. You could have easily been like, yeah, back to the old day job. We're not going to do this out of state thing. And you would have kind of gone back to your house hack and maybe have two or three units, but it's not the path you took, obviously. You're 63 doors. You went on to kind of persevere through that bump in the road you've gone on to be successful. So kind of talk about, you know, how you overcame that and then, you know, how you kind of went on to do more deals. Yeah. So, you know, that's a great segue into, you know, the happier side of real estate investing (laughs) when things go right. So after I had that issue with Kansas City or in the midst of it, actually, I was introduced to this uh, brokerage in Indianapolis. So my short list at the time was Kansas City, Indianapolis, and Little Rock. And those are the three markets that I invest in today. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced to Indianapolis by a mentor of mine. And I call him my mentor. I don't know if he thinks I'm his mentee, but he's a guy that I met on Facebook. I just messaged him. He was a nurse in the San Francisco Bay Area. And he had about 25 units at the time. And I was like, hey, I really love what you're doing. And I love your approach to investing. And I love that you're a family man. And I'd love to learn from you. And he was gracious enough to kind of take me under his wing and really teach me the things that I didn't know. You know, a lot of the things that aren't in the books that aren't in the webinars, right? In terms of really how to communicate with people, how to manage your portfolio and how to grow the right way. And this gentleman had already done it. So I was like, why am I recreating the wheel? I'm just going to learn from this guy. And if I like the direction that is going, I'm just going to follow it. But if I don't like it, or I want to make a change because my philosophy is a little bit different, I just have to make a little bit of tweak, right? And I'm going to have you know the similar or if not more success. And that was the way that I view things instead of starting from scratch. So he hooked me up with his brokerage in Indianapolis, and you know we just built a really good relationship. That brokerage is FS Houses for those of you who are interested, and. I just started buying turnkey from them in the get-go. And then we started doing bird deals together. And back, you know, four years ago, you can find properties for like $40,000, $50,000 that were renting for seven, eight hundred dollars right? Almost like the 2% rule. Yeah. And then, you know, ever since then, it's gone up and up. It became like the 1.3% rule, a 1% rule. Now it's like the 0.8%. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I don't even know if that applies anymore. It's, it's just crazy, the prices. but. Yeah, just meeting a really solid team allowed me to scale really effectively because they sourced me really great deals at affordable prices that needed minor cosmetic work. And then I started becoming more and more confident in my process to the point where I started sharing it with other people. And a beautiful thing happened when I started sharing with other people without even you know trying to get anything out of them, right? It's like, you're so excited about something. Like imagine like, a, I don't know, $500 Apple watch is on sale for 50 bucks just because they bought too much inventory or something crazy like that. You probably want to tell all your friends and family, right? It's like, Hey, go get that Apple watch for 50 bucks. Right. You always want (laughs) it. I did the same thing with real estate. I was like, Hey guys, like I'm the Guinea pig. 
And I've already bought five rentals and it's really working for me. If you guys are looking for cash flow and passive income, this might be a good opportunity. And naturally, a lot of people have questions. So I took the time to you know, just help them and be a resource. And then some of these other people, they're like, hey, Bo, I do have you know, disposable income. I have money, but I don't want to be as active as you are. Would you like to take my money and you know, invest it for me? And that was when I was like, okay, I think this is what they call private lending. Yeah. I'm not sure. I've <laughs> never done it before. Let me do some research. And that's how I approach everything. Like, If there's something that I'm not clear on, I go talk to people who are better than me at it. Like if I want to learn certain, you know, investing, I, you know, I might go hit up Jacob and be like, hey, Jacob, how did you do this? Or private lending, I talked to this gentleman. And I did the same thing with private lending. I read a couple books and then I talked to individuals and then talked to a lawyer. Boom, I had my promissory note and deed drafted. And then that's how it started in terms of private lending. And that really scaled me exponentially. And I was able to do dozen, two dozen deals like a in like two years in a very short time frame. So awesome. Bo, there's probably people listening in right now that maybe are looking to get started investing in real estate or have a few rentals under their belt or even are seasoned real estate investors. And they might be thinking to themselves like, man, this Bo guy, I mean, full-time day job, got all of a sudden 63 plus rentals across the country. Like he must have some kind of secret sauce that, I mean, something's clearly working for him. I don't see how I could get there. But just like you were in that one position at one point in time, you started with one rental and then two and then three and then five, 10, 20, you know, so on and so on. You kind of got started, you know, just like anybody else would, you know, in a similar position, working a W 2, saving up your money, investing out of state, saving up that down payment, having some traction, having some success, starting to, you know, kind of build some momentum. You talk about bringing on partners. But the point of all this is, at every stage, you're kind of leveraging. You're leveraging other people's experience. You're leveraging experience from your mentor. You're leveraging banks' money. You're leveraging other people's time and market knowledge with your turnkey providers. So it's not as intimidating as it sounds once you kind of pull back the curtains and kind of break it down step by step. It's just, you know, kind of getting started, taking those little steps. And the next thing you know, you've got a giant portfolio. Yeah. So, you know, for those of you listening who really want to get started, I think. Education is key, as cliche as it may sound. And a lot of, you know, you may have heard it on other podcasts or books, but just really educating yourself is key. And that form might come in different ways. You know, you can buy a book, you can go to RIA meetings, attend webinars. YouTube is so underrated in terms of what you can use, <laughs> uh, what you can learn. You know, you can just, whether it be like doing minor rehabs on homes, right? So I do some minor rehabs on my personal primary residence. And I just search YouTube. You can literally learn anything there. <laughs> basically anything. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. But let's just say you're not the handy type because there are some of us out there who have certain skill sets that others don't. So then you got to learn, okay, how do you manage the managers or how do you manage the other people so that you can leverage you know, their time and expertise and you really stick to what you're good at. So if you're expertise is just building relationships. Everybody has at least something that they're really good at, building relationships, finding deals, raising private capital, managing rehabs, whatever it might be. You're going to kind of find that and find your criteria and then just go execute. Because at that point, we're all on a level playing field and it's more about the volume of action that you're taking. So it's not because you know I'm better or Jacob's better or anybody else is better than you listening. It's basically probably we put in more hours to this craft. We put more hours researching and studying and educating, talking to other investors. I can't tell you how many conferences I've been to in 2019 to 2020 before COVID hit. Probably at least one to three or four virtual or in-person conferences myself. And I'm not saying going to these conferences is what really makes you successful because I've seen a ton of people just go to these conferences. Yeah. You can go to conferences all day if you'd like, but nothing's going to change if you don't apply what you've learned from those conferences. They're not so, handing out real estate at these conferences. You don't get a rental property at the end of a book. You don't get a rental <laughs> property for listening to every episode on someone's podcast, right? You actually have to couple that with taking action. It's, it's yeah, the knowledge is totally required. It's the foundation for your success. But if you don't take any action, then it's what good's it do? Yep, exactly. 
And the one thing that I love that Brandon Turner talks about on Bigger Pockets is that you have to have real clarity and a sense of direction of where you're going, right? Because I would rather, you know, take a step back to go two steps forward rather than just, hey, like I want to take action. So I'm just going to start walking, right? Because you might be going in the wrong direction of where you eventually want to go. And the reason why I say this is I have a lot of my listeners reach out to me and be like, hey, Bo, you have, you know, 63 rentals and I want to scale up to, I don't know, 20 by the end of next year. And I ask them, hey, what's your criteria? What is your why? Why are you trying to do this? And they don't have clarity in the sense, but they know that they want 20. But 20 of what? Uh, 20 of D-class you know, rentals or 20 A-class rentals? That lose money, flow. that make money, yeah. right? Like, I'll give you 20 rentals that lose money all day long, right? And are you sure you want those? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's so important for us to really distinguish at the beginning, because as I'm sure your listeners may know, it's easy to buy rentals, right? You just pay what the market wants and you're going to buy it, but really successfully cash flowing, managing or exiting, whether it be a refinance or a sale, that's the tricky part. Because if you've overpaid or if you bought in a crappy location, you're not going to be able to part ways with it. So I told that individual, hey, instead of trying to buy 20, that is what we call a lagging measure. Focus on the leading measures. Lagging measures are like, hey, yeah, I want to do 20 deals today this year. Or, hey, I want to do XYZ in cash flow, like $10,000 in cash flow. That's a term that I often hear. Okay, then what are the like step-by-step things that you need to do to get to those $10,000? Okay, then if you reverse engineer it for $10,000 at you know $200 a door, then maybe I need 50 doors, right? So 50 doors, how do I get to 50 doors? Well, each door, I probably need $100,000 to do a burr and recycle the cash. Okay, then how are you going to get to the $100,000? Okay, I need to talk to 10 people to raise private capital and maybe one of them will say yes. Like Write all of those down and focus on those are leading measures, the things that you can control. Like lagging measures, whether you get $10,000 or $8,000 or whether you get one house or 20 houses, it's a direct result of the action that you've taken. That's not the end goal. The goal is for you to focus on what you can control and work on those consistently day in and day out. Man, I love that bow and you're spot on in my opinion as well. That's why I started the interview with, you know, let's start with the reason why. And from there, you kind of create a vision for your life, right? Because you can have anything in this life you want. You can't have everything, but you can have anything. You just have to decide what that is. So you create this vision of what you want your life to look like. From there, you reverse engineer some goals, right? I think it's super important to have goals. That's kind of your blueprint. It's your roadmap to get you to that vision. And then from there, I love that leading versus lagging indicator. This is something that's a little bit new to me. Like, you know, used to, I used to write down, I want $10 million and, you know, annual income and in 20 years or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that sounds cool, but what does that actually mean? And what are you going to have to do to get there? You can't just write that single thing down every day and one day it's going to happen. You've got to make offers, call leads, raise money, you know, whatever it looks like. So, yeah, you kind of break that down and then you break those big, giant, hairy, audacious goals into something small and actionable every week. And you just take consistent, repeated, consistent, repeated action day in and day out, week in and week out. And next thing you know, 20 years down the line, and you've maybe got to that goal, maybe got really close or maybe even exceeded it. Yep, exactly. And I love what you just said right there, because it's another emphasis on, you know, we as entrepreneurs, we're naturally going to have the shiny penny syndrome. And unless we are very clear on what we're trying to accomplish and what our focus is, because like they say, what gets measured gets managed, right? If you don't do that, then the next thing, the next real estate, quote unquote, is going to pop up. And then you're going to focus your attention on that. And now your attention is divided and you're going to be less effective at what you're trying to do. So it's another reason that you really want to gain clarity and start by kind of focusing on your why and your goals before you even start just heading towards them. Oh, you and I aren't the only people to have one day have sat in our cubicle at our day jobs and thought, man, I'd really like some additional side income. I really am interested in real estate or I want to start this new side hustle, whatever it is. What do you think separates somebody like you from somebody who's never kind of taken that first step or is still maybe thinking about that next shiny penny or, you know, looking at that next 
you know, whatever it is, maybe investing in cryptocurrency or whatever that might be. What do you think separates someone from like yourself to someone who maybe just hasn't taken that step? Ooh, that's a great question. I think, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this terminology here, but I think it's pain and pain or stress or whatever you might call it, where you're saying, hey, I'm not comfortable with where I'm at right now. I don't like where I'm at right now and I want to do something else. Now, there might be perfectly happy individuals who, let's just say, you know, they all their life, they wanted to be a doctor, let's just say. And, you know, they put their hours in school and they finally become a doctor. And they're every day, if they can look in the mirror and be like, hey, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I want to save lives. And this makes me happy. Then, you know, that's great for you. Right. But there's also maybe there's another doctor who'd be like, okay, I thought this was what I wanted, but I actually have to work 80 to 90 hours a week. I'm on call. I'm not being, you know, able to spend my money. I have a lot of student debt and I want some passive income because my taxes are like 40% in California. (laughs) Then there is that pain. That's that pain that I was talking about. Then you eventually look at other sources where you can kind of get rid of that pain. So for me, it was, you know, working the W-2 job, it was very similar. As an accountant, you work 60, 70 hours a week, especially during the busy season. And I was just like, there's got to be more. I really like to travel. I love spending time with my family, but I was traveling for business, not the like the Hawaii travel, traveling <laughs> for business, you know, at least 40% oh, wow, uh, of yeah. the year. Yeah. And while the miles were good and I racked up a lot of points, it was very painful. And my wife, you know, bless her heart, she didn't say anything for the first like three years. And the third year, she was like, hey, Bo, you know, is there any way that you can reduce some of your business travel? And I was just like, why am I doing all of this? Like, I'm doing it for her. I'm doing it for my family. But if my family isn't happy with my, you know, work-life balance, like, what am I doing all this for? You know, just make money for the man. So that was painful for me. And I started to, thankfully, around the same time, I had the house hack and I was looking for, you know, remote real estate investing. So really the stars kind of aligned for me, but I also put in the work in terms of educating myself and then ultimately taking the leap of faith. Now I can say this with conviction, just because when I was looking for my first turnkey, there was a meetup on bigger pockets in San Diego. And I drove from Orange County to San Diego, which is about, you know, two hours, two and a half, give or take. And there was a guy also in accounting sitting right next to me. And he and I, uh, we had similar backgrounds. So he and I talked about, hey, are you going to buy that turnkey? Like I was like nudging him on the shoulder. And he was like, Bo, are you going to buy the turnkey? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy it. And, you know, as crazy as it may sound, he and I connected like three years later on LinkedIn through a mutual friend. They met and they were talking about me. And he reached out. He's like, hey, Bo, like, how's your real estate investing going? And I was like, at the time, I was like, hey, I have like 40 units or something. And I was like, hey, did you end up buying anything? And he's like, no, I'm still thinking about it. And, oh, and that's man. not a- Hey, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to like shake those people and be like, just take <laughs> action, you know? Yeah. And that's not, you know, simply a knock on him, but it's You're just right. us in general. Like, I think it's just, I could have been that person as well. Like, had I not decided to, okay, I'm just going to go with it. If I lose my, you know, 20%, which was roughly about what, $20,000 then it's a huge lesson learned and I won't make a similar mistake again. So I was willing to risk that because there was so much potential and so much upside. Now, for whatever reason, you know, the other guy decided not to. And, you know, he may regret it later on, you know, four years later, the prices have skyrocketed and it's harder to get into and everybody else is now trying to do it. There's much more competition. And then life circumstances change, right? And this is where the snowball is really, really crazy because right now I can quit my W-2 job and be financially independent. I might not have the exact lifestyle I want because I don't want lean fire. So fire, you know, your listeners might know is financial independence, retire early. Yeah. There's a lot of people who, as soon as your expenses hit your passive income is like, Hey, I'm done. But at what cost, right? Do you have yeah. to live off of $30,000 a year? I could totally retire right now, live off rice and beans, buy a two-man <laughs> tent, and I could retire for sure, absolutely, but maybe not the lifestyle I want just yet. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I want, you know, what some of you guys call a fat fire. So yeah. I want to take those vacations. I still want to own my primary residence. I want to, you know, drive my Teslas, right? And the snowball is really amazing because 
while it gives me the freedom to, you know, not work anymore if I don't want to, and then I just have to cut back on my expenses a little bit. But because I have this supplemental income, I tell my wife, it's like we have another family member who doesn't, you know, eat, breathe, or take any space in our house, but just brings in income. Isn't this amazing? And she was just laughing about it. (laughs) But it really allowed me to make significant life changes. And we were talking about this offline, Jacob, is I got to change jobs, change careers. I took a path from my accounting and finance. I, I joined a software startup. And, you know, this has so much more potential than what I was doing previously, because, you know, as a startup, it, depending on the funding and how it grows, if we go public, like there's so many things that I can learn and grow with the company that I was able to take this opportunity and this risk because I have the passive income. If I didn't have that, I would have had to think multiple times and maybe I wouldn't have taken the offer just because I want something that's more secure and safe. That's a human nature just to you know not change and be uncomfortable. But the more and more you do things like this, it allows you to take those challenges, just like how I think Scott was an analyst for Bigger Pockets. He just reached out to Josh Dorkin and be like, hey, I want to work for you guys. And now he's the CEO, right? Within a couple of years. And it's he really lives and breathes what he talks about in his book, Set for Life. And I just wanted to plug that in there because that book also changed my life. Yeah, that's a great um, book. Yeah, some of the principles that are taught in there, it's just mind shifting of you really break from the traditional norms. Until I met real estate and some of those books, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to grind it out in my accounting CPA firm. And then maybe if I work hard for 12 to 15 years, they'll appreciate me and maybe I'll become a partner and enter the 1%. But at what cost? I'm looking at these partners and they're working so many hours. A lot of people of them are divorced. They're not with their families. They're not able to kind of enjoy life. So yeah, like real estate has done wonders for me in that regards. And it's allowed me to make those changes that otherwise I would not have been able to. I love it. Bo, your story is super inspiring, so relatable. Just five, six years ago, it was, you bought your very first house hack. Here you are, fast forward five, six years later, you've got a giant uh, out-of-state investing portfolio of turnkey, single-family, small multifamily properties. You're on your way to financial freedom. You're doing awesome. You're giving back to people. You're helping others come along this journey. It's just so cool, very relatable. You know, if somebody's out there listening in and thinking, man, I really like where Bo's at, well, you can very well find yourself where you are yourself, Bo, by just taking action, getting started. And it's just a testament to what you're doing. So yeah, thanks so much, man. It's been an awesome, you know, having you on the podcast, talking with you. As we're wrapping up here. We end every one of our episodes with a lightning round, just this fast series of questions we like to fire at our guest. Are you up for it? Let's do it. All right. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? Yeah. And we talked about this earlier. It was the fear of the unknown. So I didn't know what I didn't know. And being an accountant, I'm risk adverse. I'm very adverse to risk. And just breaking out of that shell and talking with other investors and educating myself had allowed me to overcome that fear. I love it. Bo, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say my personal habit is not having any downtime. And some people might not agree with this because sometimes you want to just lay on the sofa and just like relax all day. But I'm very intentional with my blocks of time. I'm not like, you know, 15 minute blocks, like I got to do some little thing. But at least like 30 minutes and one hour increments, I try to fill my day with very intentional steps. And then like, if I want to relax from 8 to 10 p.m., I'm going to block off that time as well. And it really allows me to organize my day and get a lot of things done. That's cool. And I, I'm sure like, you know, when you block out time for downtime or block out time for travel, you don't feel guilty about then taking that time, right? Sometimes I feel the same way. Like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm taking a little downtime here. I'm going to, you know, eat dinner and watch TV show with my fiance or something. I'm like, ah, oh, should I feel guilty about this? Well, no, because I just spent the past 14 hours today, totally, you know, hundred percent dedicated to my work and my craft. So yeah. Yeah, no, definitely enjoy your Netflix. And to clarify, when I meant downtime was in the past, I would just like lay on the sofa all Saturday, just <laughs> watching YouTube and Netflix. And then I would regret, I was like, I had so many things to do. So 
still continue to enjoy your YouTube and Netflix. I love, you know, comedy shows on Netflix, but just be a little bit more intentional, like, hey, block off these two hours to enjoy whatever you want. And the other time, let's make sure you get things done. Love it. Bo, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? Yeah, two things. Uh, Stessa, definitely for Ooh, all of my bookkeeping. I am bookkeeping. such a Stessa fan. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing. I love Stessa. And they're continuing to grow and enhance because they recently got acquired. They have good funding and good backing. So you're going to continue to see a lot of improvements. Tell us about what Stessa then, is really quick. Yeah, Stessa. So it's actually assets spelled backwards. You know, that's the name of the company. Dude, I did not know that. And, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and I feel like I'm a spokesperson for Stessa. But I thought I um, was, but I didn't know that much. <laughs> <laughs> so bookkeeping. So if you historically use QuickBooks, it's similar functionality, not as robust as QuickBooks in terms of invoicing and payments and all of that. But as a real estate investor, you really don't need all those bells and whistles. But what you really do need is to maintain all your uh, transactions and have a financial statement in terms of your PL, as well as a dashboard in terms of, hey, when is your tenant lease up? What is your utility information? What's your insurance information? All of that you can keep within one database. So it's been awesome. It has made a world of difference in my tax filing preparation or my tax preparation filing, whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I used to have to just go through a sh- literally a shoebox full of receipts and, you know, excel it out. And, you know, okay, I had, you know, X amount percentage or expenses for maintenance, and blah, blah, blah. And now it's just there, push of a button, spits out a tax package, send to my CPA, and it's so easy. Oh, yeah. And, and best of all, it's free, guys. Yeah. If you guys are wondering. That's the best. <laughs> okay. What other resource you mentioned too? Yeah. So I love Redfin. So out of all of the different apps, you have you know your Redfin, Realtor, Zillow, Trulia, all of those. I love Redfin. I set up different notifications. I probably have about 15 for just the Indianapolis market. Like So in this area, I want to get notified anytime there's a three-bedroom, one-bath from 100 to 200K because I know I'm going to flip in that area. In this area, I want to be notified anything below 100K because I'm going to do a buy and hold. So I have those notifications when it pops up, I shoot it over to my realtor because I know within five minutes if this is going to cash flow or this is going to be a good deal just because I've looked at so many properties in the area. Yeah. It's just a numbers game. So I love Redfin. I love it. Awesome. So how about a book recommendation and why? Ooh, um, Set for Life. I've mentioned it numerous times. It's a really good book. And if you're truly a beginner you know, it's very cliche, but rich dad, poor dad, it's really going to prime your mind. And it talks about, you know, things, concepts and parables and stories, which might be a little bit more digestible for the non book reader. And then, you know, once you read those two, if you need any more recommendations, just hit me up and I'd love to send more your way. I love it. That's set for life by Scott Trench, the CEO of Bigger Pockets, fantastic book. And then the all-time famous classic Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. So we'll link both of those in the show notes. Bo, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Bo? Oh, start buying real estate right away. You don't need money, credit, you know, knowledge, like everything before you get started. You only need two, right? As Brendan Turner says, the hustle, the knowledge, or the money, you just need two of the three. So as quickly as you can at 20 years old, get two. And then if you need to partner up with other people, like-minded individuals with you, and just start buying real estate. Don't wait. I love it. Bo, hey, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast. Super inspiring story. You're actually no stranger to talking about real estate on the mic. You host a real estate investing podcast, long time running. Tell us about it and where people can find more about you. Yeah. So I'm the host of the Bigger Cashflow podcast, and it's found in Apple, Spotify, wherever you find you know, your podcasts. And I have a website, biggercashflow.com. You can find more information about me, some of the deals that I've done. And I used to be good about writing at least a monthly blog, and it's kind of trickled off a little bit. But looking to get back into it. So if you're looking for free, actionable education content, after you consumed all of Jacob's stuff, you know, feel free to check out some of mine. There's so much good content out there, Bo. We were just talking about that. But wherever you're listening to this podcast at, you can find the Bigger Cash Flow podcast. 
go check out biggercashflow.com where you can connect with Bo. You're also pretty active on social media. That's where you and I kind of touched base at. So do you have a preferred social media platform you're using these days? Oh yeah. Thank you so much, Jacob. Uh, check me out on Instagram, biggercashflow, at biggercashflow. And I post a lot of information on my flips, a lot of the deals that I'm doing and lessons learned. So you can check me out on there. Awesome. Bo, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. As we're wrapping up here, is there a parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? Maybe something I should have asked you that I didn't. Yeah. I mean, thanks again for having me on the show. I'm very excited to share my journey with you guys. You know, I'm very easily reachable on Instagram as well as via email, bo at biggercashflow.com. So if you're looking to get started, have any hesitations or reservations, I like to take two to three calls a week from my listeners just to be a sounding board and help you guys out. So, you know, no kind of strings attached. Feel free to reach out to me and I'd love to be a part of your journey. Oh, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know you've got bright things ahead in your future. So we'll have to have you back on sometime to catch up. Until next time, thanks so much. All right, thanks. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Bo Kim. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that podcast. It's inspiring to hear Bo's story and see how he was able to start investing in real estate out of state, across the country, all with a W-2 day job, just like I'm sure you may find yourself in. So if you find his story relatable or want to learn more about what he's doing, you can connect with him. He hosts the Bigger Cash Flow podcast, and you can reach out to him at www.biggercashflow.com. As always, all of those links are linked in the show notes for more information and resources. You can go find them there. As always, go check me out at www.jacobairs.com where you can find more about what I'm doing. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.